Welcome to the Managing Happiness Podcast, helping you to find your true purpose, bring out your A-game, and cultivate the right habits. We're interviewing experts, authors, and thought leaders who are here to share their tried and tested methods that will help you to thrive in life. Here's your host. Welcome to another episode of the Managing Happiness Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of having Sheila Sutherland on the podcast. Sheila is a certified social and emotional intelligence coach, professional educator, speaker, podcaster, best-selling author, and is the only licensed O-Shift facilitator in Canada. I'm looking forward to digging into what O-Shift is. She has almost 20 years of experience in the science and education industries, and she has a quirky sense of humor, which I'm looking forward to experiencing. I also have a weird sense of humor. And she's curious in human behavior and to find out ways to master the thing called life. I guess we have the same mission because with Managing Happiness, I'm also working on how to figure out life the best, how to almost write a manual for your being because, you know, we're very complex machines and they don't come with a manual, right? So Sheila, I'm looking forward to nerding out with you on how to figure out life. Awesome. Well, thank you, David, so much for having me here. I've been looking forward to this conversation for so long because I feel like we are very much aligned so we can share all of our major tidbits together. Before the podcast, we just like start talking about what you're currently geeking out on and one crucial piece of the happiness puzzle that you have been missing that you've been working on. It, imagine happiness, we have the wheel of life, which is you know different areas of your life, your career, your health, your financial well-being, your social life, your, your family, friends, etc. And if the wheel is not filled out in all the areas, then it doesn't run around because like it's holistic. So, and you've been dealing with some health issues, and there's often mainly career, health, or social life. These are the main three things that people always bring up that they where they want to improve things in their life. So let's jump into your story. Sure. Yeah. And you, when you talk about the wheel of life, the health part definitely was the speed bump for me because I felt things would be going along great. And all of a sudden, like you say, the health would go kind of offline and there would be that kind of thing. Like my whole vehicle just kind of would go off kilter. And I knew this was something that I was probably ignoring for the longest time. You know, you get the messages and you're like, yeah, yeah, I'll deal with that later. And later just never comes, right? Until something happens where you're like, look, you've got no choice in the matter. You need to deal with this now. And I kind of hit that wall. And it was, oh, I guess, I guess it'd be almost over 10 years ago now. I was first diagnosed with a chronic illness and it's called myalgic encephalomyelitis. It's like 18 billion, <laughs> like it's long. Essentially what that means is I have inflammation of the, the brain nerves and spinal column. And so it affected every single system in my body. And I was like, okay, great. We've now figured this out. What do we do? And my doctors were like, we don't, we don't know. Because <laughs> no. it's kind of like anything that they put under the chronic illness kind of umbrella, they're kind of like, eh, we really have no clue. You know, it's we'll try to manage the symptoms as best as we can and go from there. And that didn't sit well with me. <laughs> I was kind of like, something is going wrong in my body. It's affecting everything. Like it's affecting my relationship. It's, you know, it's affecting my being social. It's affecting my career. It's affecting my finances. And I've got to figure out this puzzle. So it's been a little bit of a journey. And I will say during part of this, yeah, there's been many times that I'm like, 
screw it, I'm ready to give up, right? Because sometimes when we're on this journey, uh, whatever a person's journey is, we get tired and we're just kind of like, you know what, I'm just done. And you know what, I allowed myself to have those moments. You know, when we talk about managing our happiness, I think we also have to manage all of our emotions. All of our emotions are valid. They're all there for a reason. And I had to honor what I was feeling in that moment and allow myself to have that moment of just kind of going, you know what, I'm tired. I feel defeated for the moment. And then I kick myself back going again. I have to honor where I am in that moment. And then I'm like, okay, why am I doing this? I get back to the why, right? Why am I starting this journey? Why is this important? Why do I want to figure this out? Okay, yeah, I have to keep going. So then I kick myself in the butt and I get going again. And I think that's just part of it. You know, when we're talking about managing our happiness, no matter what it is, we're not always going to be 100% there all the time. And I think it's, it's probably going to be an unpopular opinion with some people. I think that when you're talking about the idea of the positive mindset, so many people teach you got to be it all the time. You have to constantly be looking for the silver lining and be, be happy and be positive all the time. And I'm like, you know what? No. For me, I look at it like a teeter-totter where some days I'm aiming for the 51% of tipping it to, into the positive, into the happiness, right? Because depending on what's going on in, in our lives, some days we have to really work to get to that 51%. And sometimes I'm not, and I have to be okay with that. I have to be okay and give myself that self-compassion of going, today is not the day, so, you know? So I, I have to as well, I, I fall off the good behavior wagon or like, you know, and then also, something that you talk about uh, when my research is self-care. So I have a self-care routine because doing the right habits is not necessarily a really hard thing. You know, like packing your bag and going to a gym is fairly easy, right? Everybody can do it, but it's just like this mental hurdle that you want to jump over to actually do it. And I found that if I do my self-care routine, which I spelled out and I've written down, like the things that you know are self-care for me, like getting a massage, going to the barbershop, like buying me a new, myself a new gadget or some clothes or whatever. Once I've done this for half a day, then I can tell myself, okay, from tomorrow on you're in good behavior again, and you stick to all of your good habits. And this gives me the energy boost to just, I guess, tip the scale to the 51%. So that kind of goes well, back exactly. to good behavior trend. Well, and this is where the, when you look at from the emotional intelligence side of things, self-awareness to me is one of the number one competencies of emotional intelligence. And so we have to be aware, what are those self-care routines that do it for us? You talk about a massage is one for you. For me, that doesn't work. I don't like massage, right? So that would be not on my list. But you really have to sit down with yourself and go, what is it, you know, that what are the activities that I'll give you that dopamine boost. Which ones that trigger those happiness chemicals within our body? And, you know, one big one for me is heading to the beach. You know, being around the ocean is a big one for me. And I can, if I'm in some of my lowest points, I can, you know, and I really don't care what the weather is. I will go down there on a rainy day. I'll go down on a cold day. It doesn't really, it doesn't have to be you know, bright and sunny. And I'm not going for a suntan. That's not the intention. I'm going there to put my feet in the sand, to listen to the waves, to feel the breeze, to smell the salt air. Because for me, that comes in as self-care and that just relaxes my nervous system and that allows me to reset and reground, right? So I would encourage anyone who's listening right now, like, what is it those things for you? Spend some time, like, it, it doesn't have to be, there's no right or wrong in what's one thing for one person is not gonna be the same for the other. 
figure out what it is for you. And then, like you said, you have your routine. And so you have, and this was one thing I kind of learned from, as it was a psychiatrist, I was going through therapy there for a while. And, you know, and he says, when you're in whatever that may be, well, you're in an experience. And uh, sometimes it's really hard to come up with the solutions. So have it preset. You know, so you say if you have your self-care routine set, you have it written down, you have it posted on the fridge or on a blackboard or on your phone in your notes, have it preset. So when you're in that moment of being riled up or just feeling like the world is out of control, you know where it is that you can go, right, that's what I need to do. You know, I'm, I'm a business nerd, organization development nerd. I just apply this to my personal life. You know, in business, you also have SOP, standard operating procedures. When XYZ happens, we fall back to doing this. You know, we just kind of know what we want to do. In the Managing Happiness course, we create a know thyself document. And this contains things like the restart routine or things that make me happy or things that I'm grateful for. And just because like when you're at a low point, you know, like your brain is not functioning right. And it's like very easy when you can go back to your SOP and think, okay, I don't feel well can do this restart routine or I can do like these things like, oh yeah, I actually enjoy to go out to dance with, to electronic music or I enjoy to go for a long run or whatever, you know, and they're like, oh yeah, right. I like doing these things because they're sometimes, especially when you're in under good state, they're not top of mind and it's always easy to, exactly. to go back to them. Well, exactly. When you look at it from a neuroscience perspective, when you are in that state, your threat brain is activated. And that means we cannot access that higher order thinking where all the logic sits, right? That's where all of our lists and all of our, well, I should know better. I should be able to do this. Well, that's where that all sits. And when we are in, like you say, that emotional rabbit hole that we may be going down, or we have that threat of some sort that our body is perceiving, we can't access. So when we have our SOPs already made up, we don't have to worry about it. We don't have to think about it. We don't have to expend that energy to try to figure it out. It's already done for us. And our brain loves to have those things already set up and organized because it's less energy for it to have to deal with. I'm just a very lazy person. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm curious because, because you focus on social and emotional intelligence and what you just said, I, I have a condition that's like selfish for me to, you know, some information about this in case you know what. I have a condition called aphantasia where I cannot create images in my mind. No, you haven't heard about it. So I no. can't create images and I also cannot relive emotions. So oh, I well, can't, okay. and I can also, you know, for example, something terrible that happens whenever it's just like kind of a text file in my mind versus I cannot recreate this bad feeling that I had. So that's and also, an um, advantage to that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think also it's more advantage. Yeah. The, the, the downside is I also don't feel empathy. I have deep logical empathy, but I don't feel empathy. So when you tell me that you go through a tough thing, before I was aware of this, I was still smiling at you. You know, now I'm, I kind of play the like, oh, I'm so sorry thing to just make not people feel bad. But well, and the thing is, and you've recognized that, you know, that that's in there. My personally, I don't have anything background and knowledge. So I would assume that's just how it is. It's not going to change. But you have, you now, like I say, you've now set out an SOP for yourself in regards to that. You know that empathy is a big thing in regards to when you come to social relationships. So you kind of have your standard operating procedure in, okay, I can see you recognize, okay, this person is going through something. This is what they need in this moment from me. And you're able to do that. And yes, I think I have my crutch, basically. You know, yeah. Kind of like 
I mean, applaud you for that because some people would be like, oh, that's just how it is. That's the way I am. It doesn't matter. And just kind of brush that off. But you're like, yeah, it is the way I am, but this is what I can do instead of to help still nurture my relationships. So I think you've done an amazing thing in being able to navigate a part of your personality that isn't in your control because it is, that's just how it's wired, but you're able to still nurture those relationships in a way. And yeah, I think that's amazing. I think it goes back to really knowing yourself. And, you know, I, I always kind of observe myself and think about what can I do? You know, if, if something does not go well, I have an error log in my businesses. And also personally, I have an error log. Whenever something does not work the way I want to work, I kind of reflect on like, what could I do to make sure this doesn't happen again? Well, and I think that could almost be the theme of this whole thing of like, when you're talking of managing happiness, like I said before, we're never going to be 100% happy. We're never going to do things 100% right all the time. We have those people in our lives that maybe have had decades of practice of hitting our buttons, right? That cause us to have those knee-jerk emotional reactions. And you know what? Sometimes they're going to hit the button right on, on target and you're going to have that knee-jerk reaction. Then you can sit down afterwards and kind of go, okay, this is what happened. How can I do better? What can I do better next time? Instead of beating yourself up because that accomplishes nothing. Yes, yeah, so it's like guilt should be an emotion. Like, you know, if I do something that highly upsets my wife, if I feel bad about this and sit in the corner, she has no benefit from this. But if I use this energy of guilt and think about what can I do to make up for this or to make sure this never happens again, if this is my, where my energy goes, she'll benefit way exactly. more from it. Right, so, yeah. We can use that in so many areas of our life, you know, that I think that's a huge skill and I would consider like a soft skill that any of us could learn, you know, rather we're talking in our relationships, in business, in our careers, in anything to be able to operate in that way. It's awesome. It's so my wife is from a Turkish family and they are like way more hot blooded than us cold emotion, unemotional Germans. And in my household, my parents were total hippies. My father always said, if you have to yell, your argument is too weak. And, you know, for them, yelling was a form of violence. And so, like, this was nothing, nothing acceptable. And in my wife's household, Turkish culture, they're just like, no emotion at play, right? And so, when our daughter was born, my wife used to, you know, when my daughter upset her, she used to yell at her. And I was like, you know, I don't want her to do this because to me, that's a form of violence. And I don't want her to this with, with a dog and she also doesn't want to do it but as you said it's a pre-programmed pattern that is has learned and certain buttons are being pushed and then and every time when i critiqued her while she was yelling at my daughter she was already in this mood of you know anger or whatever and then this just like boiled up even more well i say she probably wasn't receiving anything you were saying at no, that point <laughs> no. it's just made it worse and so i always like to reflect and you know having the airlock and so in our family meeting, my wife and I sat down and we do these, we talk about issues that we have when we're in a good state after we went for a walk or a nice brunch or whatever. And then we're solution oriented. Then we talk like same in business. If you were my head of sales and you don't bring in the numbers, I'd never yell at you. I'd say, hey, Sheila, what's missing? Don't you have enough leads? So we have to talk to marketing, like closing rate, whatever. So let's figure this out, how we can solve this, right? And so in this case in terms of the strong emotional reaction, you know, or yelling at my daughter or our daughter, 
we came up with a safe word. So we stood in front of some bananas, put some brown spots on, and I said, like, okay, if I say faude banan, which means like spoiled or rotten bananas in German, this reminds you that we agree that we, you don't want to yell at Emma, right? And because then it's not critiquing her directly, but we just bring this word in. And this worked wonders. Oh. Like the next few times when this, you know, came up, I just had to yell like faude banan, and then it stopped. Versus like she being even, you know, the fire was not stirred. And now this is a thing of the past, you know, so we're able to untrain this pattern that was there before. So it's, I think it's always. And that's a great example, right? Because so many people will think, well, that's how I was brought up. That's how I've been my whole life. I can't change. But you've proven that just right there that you can. It takes some time and it takes effort, and but it can be, our brains can be retrained. Because our reactions are honestly their habits. And we know it, like when you're talking about healthy habits of getting up in the morning and heading to the gym and eating right and making sure you're well hydrated, those are one type of habit. Our reactions are another type of habit. So if we can train one, we logically can train the other as well. And I love the fact of that you're using a safe word. And again, that's the awareness that you both are communicating and you can say like, I'm getting to this point of, if I know for me, I can feel it. Like if I'm starting to feel tightness in my chest and in my throat, I know I'm getting to the point of no return. That if I don't stop it here, I'm now going to say or do something that's going to involve me having to do some serious backtracking and kind of clean up my mess afterwards. And so it's that awareness of being able to feel it in your body knowing what's happening and kind of going, I need to step away. And that's part of the whole O-shift side of things is recognizing when I'm feeling that in my body, knowing that I'm getting to that certain point and I need to step away. Because like I said, I mentioned before, when we are in those highly emotional states, we can't think of the logic, right? We can't have an adult conversation if I'm that riled up, right? We go complete to lizard brain, right? And it's just all attack. You recognize that either you use a safe word or you just say, I have to step away. I actually prepped my partner when we were dating and I kind of said, this is how I am. Like if I'm getting really riled up about something, I will say, I need to step away. I need you to let me do that. It doesn't mean I'm forgetting where we at or that I'm not coming back. I will. I need a moment to just calm down, get my head back on so I can have that adult conversation. It's just, it can't happen in that moment. And, you know, he respected that. And he was like, okay, okay. So this is what kind of, he got him thinking. He was like, well, what is it for me? And so again, it's kind of, so we can have those really deep, important conversations that when we don't, like say, if we didn't do that, that's a threat to our relationship. I mean, when you're talking about romantic relationships, how many of those break up because they're volatile, right? Because you get riled up and you start yelling and you, you just, you're not listening to each other and it's just chaos. You, you just it's, want to win the argument. You didn't even want yes, to solve the issue, right? It's no. just about like, <laughs> it's all about coming out on top and it doesn't serve you in your relationship. It definitely does not serve your children. And so being able to show them a different way of being able to manage their relationships, like what you are setting in place for your daughter right now is huge. Like I can't even say how huge that is and how that's going to impact all of her future relationships. Like it's going to be amazing. Yeah, I'll do my best to 
teach her our core values. And for example, when she complains, I always tell her, Hansels don't complain, Hansels find solutions, you know? It's a great family motto. <laughs> and when I complain about something, she always throws it back to me. Daddy, Hansels don't complain, Hansels is like, good, honey, that's it. That's great. Yeah, don't you love it when your children use your words against you? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's perfect. You know, I, I love it. Proves that they do listen, right? You think your kids don't listen to you, but they do. Well, they, they for sure listen. <laughs> I'm very curious on how you can teach people the whole shift or like how that you can actually shift and change. Because I made a profound change in my life, which was I used to be very introverted. I'm a recovering introvert. And I realized like, hey, this is really holding me back in life and business. And I want to change that. So I went to lots of networking events, talked to everybody and their mom and the Toastmasters twice a week until I like really overcame this shyness with exposure therapy, right? But the real shift happened in my mind was when my yoga teacher said, every decision in life you make out of love or out of fear. This is the basic, if you really drill down, this is why you do anything, right? And if you get riled up and you're at the state where you're going, stage where you're going to explode, it's, it's most of the times it's coming out of fear and it's not coming from a place of love. And once I always knew this deep down inside, but once my yoga teacher gave me this words, I had I could articulate it and this became my mantra in, in everything that I'm doing. And for example, in sales or pu public speaking, I used to prefer to shoot myself in the face versus standing in front of 100 or 500 people and giving a talk or being on a podcast. I would have never done that because I always would have thought, do people think I look weird? Do they think I have a weird German accent? Do they think what I'm saying is stupid? And like, it's always full of fear and I can't present. But if I'm full of love and I think what I can share, you can help them in their life and their business, it completely flips it. It has to do with like how you feel, as I said, you know, like with the emotion, like you, my, my emotions are my internal barometer. And when I feel good about something, I just lean in. If I feel bad about something, as soon as I don't, something doesn't feel good, I take a step back and think like, why is it that way? And can I maybe change my attitude towards this to make it easier to kind of see that this love aspect in it or maybe the wrong thing to do? And this has been like so impactful to me that this became my mantra and this I have like stickers and t-shirts everywhere, kind of, you know, saying love, not fear. So I'm curious, how can you teach people to get this awareness that you can actually shift and catch yourself and like, oh no, I'm, I'm following this pattern again in my mind and like, stop, one step back, reevaluate and now go. Well, definitely. And it's one thing I've already mentioned is learning how it feels in your body. And so I, I will have a, a process that I put people through that of just a time of observation. It can be a little bit difficult to observe yourself without judging, but that way that's part of the process is to do that. If say you've had an argument with your significant other and you sit back, like you had mentioned before, you kind of debrief with yourself and well, where did I feel that in my body? What was happening in the moment? What was the trigger? It does kind of, I mean, it, some people may think, oh, that sounds so laborious to try to have to do that. But we have to create that real, almost that relationship with ourself. Right. When you talk about, you know, thyself, that's part of it is the awareness. And a part of it is giving yourself that pause. Like maybe you can feel it, something's happening and just taking that deep breath in the O shift steps. That's one of the choices you have is just kind of just stop for a second, take that deep breath and give yourself that moment of pause. And that's enough sometimes just to kind of interrupt some of that, you know, monkey brain that may be happening and allow yourself to kind of give yourself a clear moment of thought. There is that taking that deep breath. There is that feeling where it is in my body that could be of asking yourself, 
taking that moment of just going, if I continue down this path of where I am right now, what's the outcome going to be? And if you know, like, if I keep going right now, the outcome is going to be this, because that's what I've always been doing. I don't like that. Okay, you're now at that fork in the road. And this is where the power of choice comes in. And you may choose, no, I'm going to continue doing like I'm always doing. Okay, so you've consciously made that choice, but you've also consciously decided, yeah, I'm going to deal with the repercussions of that. But if I go, no, you know what? I don't like how that feels. I don't want to do that route. I want to choose another route. Now, how do I do that? What is that going to look like? What can I do? And so this is where that preset, having, again, our SOPs set up of, in that moment, this is what I can do. And when I have people going through the, the OSHIF program, they actually get a little card that they can keep in their wallet or they can take pictures of it and put it on their phone. And it gives them their steps of how to do that. And eventually it becomes, you don't have to think about it, right? But because again, it's a new habit, you can sit there and kind of go, okay, step one, take a breath, pause. <sighs> okay, step two, now what am I doing? Now, one of the questions on there is, and again, if it depends what your belief system is, it might be, what would Jesus do in this moment? <laughs> or what would Mother Teresa do in this moment? And it's something that's enough just to give that kind of interruptness happening in your brain. And you'll be like, okay, you know, yes, it may sound kind of silly. Oh, what would Mother Teresa do in this moment? Well, Mother Teresa probably wouldn't be in this moment. But it's, again, it's something just to interrupt that thought pattern, right? And sometimes we need something that seems a little off the wall to interrupt that thought pattern. And you're like, okay, now, what can I do now to create a better income or better, better income? Yes, that would be great too, but better outcome. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that's very powerful. Is it, is it for everybody? Is it the same steps for everybody or does everybody define their steps? Same, on? same basic steps, but how you do it is up to you. Like I will give you some to start, but then you decide from there, right? Because when I was teaching in the classroom, because I used to be a, a math and biology teacher, and especially when I was teaching math, I said, you know, there's no one right way to get to the answer. If you can get to the exact same answer that I got, but you took a completely different route, awesome, that works for you. Because that may be some, a way I never thought of. So getting to the end goal is where we want to be. How you get there can be many different paths. So you want to find the one that works right for you because the ones that work for me and the ones that have worked for you may not work for a third person. Right. And so there are no hard and fast written in stone. This is what you must do. Like a lot of when you look at a lot of personal development, right? These are kind of the 30,000 foot view set. Now, for you to get to your fight, you have to refine what works for you down to your final goal. I just joined EO Entrepreneurs Organization and they have these forums where entrepreneurs meet and, you know, talk about stuff, right? And one of the rules is that you always, it's the forum mindset that you only share from experience. Because if I tell you that, hey, Sheila, no, no, you have to do blah, blah, blah. I don't know how you live. I know how you might live. For example, I have aphantasia. For me, it's like, for example, like being unemotional, just like turn off the emotion. Like well, for me, it's like, okay, just gonna do that. Yeah. For somebody else, it's and like, what, else you, is what like, are you talking about? How do I do that? <laughs> yeah, I think it's a pretty powerful thing. Also, I, I like peer learning. I don't like the, like, from, from high off, this is how it has to be. You have to do blah, blah, blah. Kind of turns me off. I also, I got kicked out of a lot of schools. I went to 14 different schools because I was just like, didn't fit in. Uh, but peer learning is just something that works really well for me. And also in the managing happiness clubs, 
you know, somebody says like, I'm struggling with X, Y, Z. And then people say like, okay, I did this and that, and this worked for me. And then you can kind of like be the judge if you want to implement this or not, you know? So I think it's, it's a powerful thing when you can do the peer learning and not standard prescription, like, Hey, you have to do this also half. I'm against words like half or must. I don't have to do anything. I have to die at some point, but everything else I want to do. I want to do my homework so I get better at math. I don't have to do my homework. Well, it's like the shoulds, right? You've got everyone saying, well, you should do this and you should do that. Says who? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, again, that seems like it's the information coming from top down kind of thing. And it's like, it doesn't work for me. Because you know, the shoulds just leaves to expectations that are somebody else's, they're not mine. And that then eventually ends up me probably becoming very angry and bitter and all of those other negative things. It's just a whole other thing I have to manage. Like, why would we do that to ourselves? Right. And this is where, again, it's the choice factor. So something's going on. Person A did it one way. Person B did another. Person C did another. I always tell people, take what feels right for you right? So you may take bits and pieces out of a, a bunch of different places and come up with a whole new process that nobody has thought of, but it works amazing for you. Which brings me to what works for you in terms of managing your happiness. I have three key stone habits. Let's say if I sweat every day, if I plan my day, and if I do the most important task, if I check this off my to-do list, it's pretty much a win this day. Because when I work out, I got kind of get positive chemicals in my body and get rid of negative chemicals and doing planning my day, making sure I'm not dropping the ball anywhere and doing the most important task makes me feel accomplished. So when I, when I do this, like I have a bunch of other habits I'm tracking, but this is like the key thing for me to manage my happiness. You know, do, do you have something similar in terms of how do you manage your happiness? That's basically the question. Well, one I kind of alluded to earlier is being out in nature. Nature is a big thing for me now, rather that means just going for a walk because I'm, I'm lucky I've got a whole bunch of trails that are around me here. So it might just be getting out there. It could be getting out into the garden and just you know, putting my hands in some dirt and playing with some of my flowers. It's just being in touch with nature is one. Because again, I think that kind of gets rid of some of those, the negative chemicals and, and whatnot that in my body, it just relaxes my nervous system and brings it kind of right back down. Another one for me is music. I have... A couple of different songs that like if I know that I'm feeling off or I've had something happen and I'm feeling kind of sad or I'm just kind of not the where I want to be emotionally, I will put them on. I may close the blinds in my house and just dance around here like a fun what I call like a funky chicken. You're right. I just I'm not a good dancer, but I just it's moving the body. So where you're talking about going and working out, that would probably be part of it for me. It's just it's nothing formal. It's just putting on some music kind of just feeling the beat in my body and just moving however that feels in that moment. It doesn't mean, it doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have, you know, it's just, it's, you know, I always remember Tony Robbins. I went to a workshop he was doing and what, if you ever get to see Tony Robbins live, it's, that's an experience in itself. But he says, if you ever want to change your emotional state, you need to change your physical state. And that was something that always really stuck with me that yes, if we're feeling sad and upset, we can. E it's very easy to just sit on the couch and turn on the television and, or pick up the phone and just start that endless rabbit hole of surfing, but that's not gonna change where you're at. If you don't like what you're feeling, you need to change that physical state first and your emotional state will follow. So that's another one. Let's see, what would be my third one? So because with nature, we've got music. Honestly, meditation is a big one for me. 
So again, it's that really quieting down my nervous system. Now, whether it's, again, music may be involved, I may put on some, you know, what I call Zen type music, but it's just quieting myself, finding that quiet room where the phone is turned off. There's no interruptions. It's just because I am the introvert. I like I say, well, I dance the line. I, I'm an ambivert, but I refill as an introvert. So I need to have that quiet peacefulness to recharge myself. So having that moment of complete silence, of just having everything still and just being able to allow my nervous system to calm down, that is a big one for me. I, I used to meditate on a daily basis. I was following uh, Sadhguru's inner engineering teachings, which is like some upa yoga, like yoga routine and some um, meditation. And I realized because of my aphantasia, I think because my mind is always calm if I meditate or not. I have no benefit in meditation, but the physical thing, it's important for me that I do it. You know? So I guess I can know yourself, know what works for you. Don't get not the prescription off the shelf. Read books, test out stuff, learn, see how does it react with you? How does it feel? Uh, and then continue doing it or drop it. You know? So I think it's, for me, it's always I like to experiment and just yeah, test out what works best for me. Well, exactly. There's one documentary I always like to suggest to people, and I believe it's still on Netflix. I haven't checked recently, but it's just called Happy. I, I don't know if you've ever seen it. I think the thumbnail picture, I think, is just like a bunch of happy faces, if I remember cor correctly. But the one piece that really stuck out for me is when they were talking about how 50% of our overall happiness is a genetic set point, right? So there's 50% of it. We don't know from a genetic standpoint where we fall on that that spectrum of that 50%. But that's 50% that we don't have control of. 10% that's where our happiness is based on circumstances. That might be how much money you have in the bank, what your relationships are, you know, you've got the perfect partner, if you have the perfect job. That's only accounts for 10%, but that's where most people put about, I'd say 90% of their energy into. But they're the, that still leaves 40% that is in our complete control. And that is where knowing thyself comes into play. So even if you didn't win the genetic lottery and that part of the 50% is low, and maybe some of your circumstances aren't where you want them to be, you still have 40% that is completely within your choice, within your control, that you can create, actively create every single day. So make those SOPs, make those lists, figure out what it is about yourself to create that so you can maximize that 40%. And then all the others, I think, will just fall into place. It's very true. I think also, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. If you go through tough times, if you, a friend of mine, actually, at Toastmasters, when I did my becoming less introverted, more extroverted thingy, he gave a talk and said, we all go through fire, but we have to decide if we are wood or precious metal. If we're wood, we burn down to ashes. If we're precious metal, we learn and grow from this adversity, from these challenges that we're having. And this can be the difference between PTSD and PTG, post-traumatic growth, right? Basically, from the tough stuff that you go through, there are always blessings in there. There's always ways how you can grow. Well, and we have so much in common because Toastmasters was something that I used as well. It was one of my tools to kind of get me out of that, I'd say, extreme introvert closet, <laughs> so to speak. But then in regards to your friend with this speech, that's why I use the phoenix as my logo, is, you know, rising from the ashes, rising up out of that fire. 
And as someone who was diagnosed with PTSD, how many people going, well, how can you be so happy with all the stuff that you've gone through? And sure, I could sit there and I could say, oh, woe is me till the day as long as the day is long. But what does that get me? I don't like how that feels. I want to feel way different than that. And that's where I think I kind of crossed over into the post-traumatic growth, where I've used what I have gone through as a springboard or as steps to take me. You know, what have I learned? What can I, again, what can I do differently? Like we've talked before. Anybody could be going through a myriad of different experiences and you could sit down going, what can I take from this? How can I grow through this? Instead of this being solely my story, how can it be just a chapter of that led me to somewhere else? And that won't happen overnight. I wish I could say that it would. It does take some time to be able to do that growth, but it's so worth it in the end. And I think you would agree that hard work that you put into that, the pot of gold at the end of that rainbow is there and it's worth it to do, put that effort in to find it. 100%. I think something that also helps me tremendously dealing with the challenges that life throws us is gratitude. I have this gratitude rock that I pick up every morning going through the things I'm grateful for, which gives me this 30,000 foot view of all the good stuff that's happening in our, in our lives. Because when we tend to only lizard brain style focus on the issues that we're having, and we forget about all the beauty that we have around these issues, you know, and it's like being, again, knowing yourself and being self-aware of like, hey, actually there's so much beauty in my life. I'm just like obsessing over this thingy that six months from now, I probably even can't remember that it ever happened. Well, and I think gratitude really keeps us present, right? It keeps us grounded in the present because when you look at, say, like a lot of the perceived negative emotions of a lot of times that's because we're either focusing on the past or we're focused too far and fearful of the future, right? So if we can be grateful and find the things that we are grateful for that are directly in front of us right now in this present moment, that helps keep us where we need to be, where we can have that active choice and that active participation in our own lives instead of feeling like it's just happening to us. Yeah, life's happening for us, not, not, not to us. Everything's happening for me. I was Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now I think you wrote one that is like where I got this takeaway from. Every anger is coming from thoughts of the past and every fear and anxiety is coming from thoughts of the future. And if you manage to be present in the year now, then, you know, life's beautiful. And this is also the only moment that we have where we can impact everything, also impact our future and, you know, make sure things are good. Exactly. That's perfect. Very cool, Sheila. Any things you, any books, tools, podcasts you want to recommend to the audience so they can geek out further on what we already talked about? Well, I already mentioned say that one documentary. I would definitely highly recommend anyone check that out because there's some really good messages in there. And I return to it and I watch it every once in a while just to kind of as a reminder. So definitely see if you can find that documentary. There is, I mean, if you look him up, they call him the father of positive psychology. Last name is Maria Seligman, I think it is. You look at a lot of his stuff and read a lot of his books on the positive psychology, and he talks a lot about gratitude as one of them. And he gives a lot of information on how to really build that resilience of happiness, of positive psychology, and how to deal with it in the times when it's not feeling so much like you want to be in there. So I, I really would recommend looking into those books as well. Ma Martin Seligman. Yes. Seligman. Yeah. German. 
couldn't think of his first name, but yes, that's it. Yes. Okay, perfect. Yeah, we'll, we'll add this to the show notes. Thank you very much. Yes. And you also have your own podcast, which is on the reigniteyourpurpose.com slash podcast, right? Yeah, there's, a I think, 100-ish plus episodes in there. I have taken a, a break from doing more up-to-date ones right now, shows right now, but there are, like I say, over 100 episodes that people can, and some great interviews with a lot of people that share their knowledge. Because again, I didn't want the show to just be about me. I want to be able to bring in other people who have had other experience. And like you say, doing the peer learning to, yeah, to what worked for you. And maybe that's something that just something else we can add to our toolbox. And I think that's kind of what this journey is all about is finding what are those tools that work for me. And we all having this gigantic toolbox that we can pull from in any given moment. Very cool. So if somebody wants to find you or somebody wants to shift or do the O-Shift coaching with you, how can people find you? They can either my website of reigniteyourpurpose.com or you can email me, which is Sheila at reigniteyourpurpose.com. And then I'm, I'm on Facebook and Instagram under both of those as well. So, and LinkedIn and you know, like all, all, all the, the social socials. networks. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome, Sheila. Thank you very much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Really enjoyed chatting with you. Please, if you enjoy the content, give us a review on the Apple podcast thingy. It's going to make Sam very, very happy. So if Sam's happy, I'm happy. So please make us happy. <laughs> Thank you, guys. See you in the next one.